Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10 is where we will be at least for a chunk of the time tonight. John chapter number 10, and uh, we're going to look here in verses 27 through 30. And uh, as you're finding that, if you're able to stand, uh, if you could go ahead and join me in standing for the reading of God's Word tonight. John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Lord, we're grateful for uh, the time that we've had already together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the good music and uh, for just uh, even that creation moment, Lord. And we see your creative hand and your powerful hand and even creating the little dart frog. Um, We're grateful for the fact that we can know you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide our thoughts now as we look into your word and discuss this very important topic and uh, one that we need to understand in our own lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, we've been going through these Baptist beliefs, uh, trying to figure out what we believe as Baptists. And uh, we've gone through the word uh, Baptist as an acrostic. We started with the letter B, which stands for Bible-only authority. Uh, and this is, of course, the key. Of, without that one, the rest of them really don't matter. Um, we need to get that one first because all of them come from the Bible. And so uh, Bible-only authority, and we spent some time talking about that. And we talked about the autonomy of the local church, letter A. And then letter P, we talked about the priesthood of the believers, that you and I as believers have direct access to God. I don't need to go through any other man other than Jesus Christ. Um, I have direct access. Uh, But the question is, are we utilizing that access? Are we taking advantage of that access? That's what we talked about there. And then we went to the first letter T, and that stands for the two ordinances. And so we spent an evening talking about what baptism is and the importance of it and and what it is not. It does not bring salvation. It's not necessary for salvation. Uh, Only a relationship with Jesus Christ is necessary for salvation. But then once you have that, the first step of obedience is baptism. And then we talked about the second ordinance, which was the Lord's Supper or communion or the Lord's table, um, different ways to say that. Um, we talked about that, and then we went ahead and took uh, partook of the Lord's Supper together as a church family a couple weeks ago. And then last Sunday night, we talked about individual soul liberty, the fact that I can't choose for you what you decide regarding your relationship with God. Each one of us has to make our own choice. And we're all responsible for our choices. And we talked about how our choices affect us and our choices affect others. And, and uh, kind of a mind-blowing thought that my choices affect future generations as well. And uh, one that most people don't really consider their choices affect future generations, but it's a fact. Well, now tonight we're going to go to the first letter S, and that stands for security the believer. Now, there, there's another... Uh, so, some Baptist churches have different things for what this acrostic stands for. Uh, Some talk about saved, baptized assembly, 
and uh, we may get into that and uh, use that one as well. Uh, but for tonight, we're going to look at the security of the believer uh, because this is an essential part of uh, our relationship with God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he fully play, paid for the sins of the world completely. Uh, when a person then puts his trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior, he receives forgiveness of sins, which, by the way, these sins that have been forgiven were past, present, and future sins at the moment of his salvation. And uh, he also receives a home in heaven for all of eternity. Now, obviously, a lot of Christian churches would agree with the previous statements, but what have, some have difficulty with when a Christian decides to backslide or to uh, get involved in a sinful lifestyle. What happens then? Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I wanted to give you a little doctrinal, uh, get kind of a theological discussion going, not a discussion, but uh, put my theological hat on and, and uh, share this with you. Okay, so there's two distinct views concerning eternal security of the believer. The Armenian view says that man has received his salvation as an act of his will and that he may forfeit his salvation as an act of the will or through specific sins. So that's what... Uh, one group of people believe that you can, uh, that you are saved because I willfully have chosen um, to receive salvation, but then I can also forfeit my salvation if I uh, make some bad choices or if I decide to. Okay. Well, the Calvinist then says that the true believer will persevere in his faith. This doctrine is oftentimes called the perseverance of the saints, which uh, actually is not a uh, an accurate title since it placed the emphasis on man's ability to persevere rather than God's ability to keep the believer. A better title might be the perseverance of the Lord. <laughs> All right. This doctrine does not suggest that the believer will never backslide or sin. It means, however, that when a person has genuinely believed in Christ as a Savior from sin, he is forever secured by God by not my keeping power. I can't keep my salvation. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, I am secured by God, by God's keeping power. Okay, It's God that keeps my salvation. Now, the basis for security of salvation does not rest with man, but with God. And the security of the believer is based on the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we uh, will get into that, what that kind of means here in a moment. All right, so to help us understand the security of the believer... Um, we have a little outline there for you with uh, several bonus points, as uh, my daughter says. So anyway, bonus points for your enjoyment there. Uh, but let's look at number one tonight, the wording of the scriptures. Because as we mentioned at the beginning, Bible-only authority, all of these come back to the Word of God. Uh, we got to look at the scriptures and what doth the scripture say? That's really what we need to be asking as we look at these different doctrines and different beliefs. We're not getting them out of tradition. We're not getting them out of just, oh, my, my dad told me this, so that's why we do this. No, we do this because this is what the Bible says. All right? Uh, what does the Bible say? Well, first of all, the words eternal life, eternal life are significant. John chapter 10, verse 28. Here Jesus said to them, uh, said to his disciples here um, and to the Jews, um, he said, I give unto them eternal life. I mean, eternal life, that's pretty clear that it's not life that, you know, 
is temporary. It's eternal life. Okay, so it's a forever situation. 1 John chapter 5, in uh, verse number 11, uh, you don't have to turn over there, but I will, and it says this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So eternal life is something that God here has used that terminology, uh, that, that wording here. And uh, Romans chapter 6, in verse number uh, 20, 23 here. Let me see if I can't get over there. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There it is again, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right? Eternal life. And then John 3.16 is another reference. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have not eternal life, but here everlasting life. Okay? So we are, we are told here eternal life. Uh, there's another uh wording here that I want to look at, and that is the word, the wording of never perish, never perish. Back in John 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never perish. Okay? Not going to happen. Never perish. Uh, John 3, 16, as I mentioned a moment ago, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the wording of the Scriptures indicates that once we're saved, we're always saved. And we are secure in Him. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and that relationship will never be severed. Okay, what, what's other wording of the Scriptures that uh, we can draw the conclusion that once we're saved, we're always saved, and we are eternally secure in the Beloved? All right, here we go. Let her see. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 10 and verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then verse 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. All right? Uh, Mr. Joel, how you doing? Would you be willing to come up and help me with something? Okay, come on up here. This is my buddy Joel, and uh, he can he can beat me up, so I better be careful. Thanks for coming to help me. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. This quarter here represents me, and uh, when I was 12 years old, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation, and this hand is going to represent the hand of Jesus. Okay, and I know it's not the hand of Jesus, but it's just going to represent that. All right? Verse number 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, I, and they follow me. And then I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Okay, so when I got saved, when I was 12 years old, I was placed in the hand of Jesus Christ. And it says, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Okay, you're a pretty strong guy. He's like, yes, I am. Thank you very much. He's like, yes, uh, you're right. That's accurate. 
I want you to go ahead and see if you can't get that quarter out of my hand. Is it happening? Yeah, it's totally happening. It's, to- <laughs> it's totally happening. I'm afraid it's not, my friend. <laughs> so it's not happening. That's pretty secure in there, right? Okay. Very good. Thank you for at least... Oh, no, you're not done. You're not done. You're not done because that's just verse 28. Oh, man. Verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So when I believed on Christ for my salvation, I got placed in the hand of Jesus Christ, and then I got placed in the hand of God the Father. I and my Father are one. Okay, now I want you to go ahead and try to get that out of there. Is that happening? Totally. This Totally not. Totally not. Nice try, my friend. Okay, you are pretty strong, but... This quarter's pretty secure in my hand, but guess what? You and I are more secure in the hand of Jesus and the, and the hand of the Father when we place our faith in Him. Here's a quarter for, your, for coming up here. Thank you, my friend. So now he's... Yeah. <laughs> but let that be an illustration to all of us that, look, when we are born again, when we place our faith in Christ... We're placed in His hands, and there is no one stronger than Jesus Christ. And, but then, then we're also placed in the hand of the Father, and we're completely secure in that. The Bible says, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, and then neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We're completely secure. So the wording of the Scriptures. What else? Nothing shall be able to separate Nothing shall be able to separate. Turn your Bible over to Romans chapter 8. What a precious passage this is. Romans chapter number 8. And I know most of us are familiar with this, but I'd like you to see it one more time. Just again. Just to be reminded of our security in Christ. Verse number 34 is where we'll start here. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then here he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And then he says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am completely secure. I have, I am, nothing's going to be able to separate me and nothing's going to be able to separate you. Not, not, the devil can't come and steal me away. No man shall be able to pluck me out of the hand of my Savior. What else? What other wording in the scriptures would indicate this doctrine of eternal security? Well, I think also, ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And this is found in Ephesians chapter number 4. Uh, a couple times actually in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.30 says, uh, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
We're sealed. Now, sealing here means our down payment. It's God has given us his down payment, and it's, it's a done deal. It's, it's happening. It's totally happening, Joel. Okay? As he kept saying, it's totally happening. Well, it didn't happen. But look, when God says that he has sealed us under the day of redemption, that indeed is something that is happening. Verse number 13 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession and of the praise of His glory. We're, we're saved because... Um, we're com- I'm sorry, we're completely secure because He is our down payment. He is our earnest. Now, during the initial construction on the Golden Gate Bridge, no safety devices were used, which is kind of mind-boggling that they would do that. Now, it wouldn't happen here in 2020 with all the rules and regs that we've got here. But, but back in those days, as they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, no safety devices were used, and unfortunately, 23 men fell to their deaths. So for the final part of the project, they realized we've got to do something, and so they uh, constructed a large net, and uh, they put that underneath the bridge, and that was used as a safety precaution. Well, at least 10 men fell into it and were saved from certain death. But even more interesting, however, is the fact that 25% more work was accomplished after the net was installed. Why is that? Well, because the men had the assurance of their safety, and they were free to wholeheartedly serve the project. And look, when you and I understand that we are completely secure in Christ, that no matter what we do, we're secure. Not, not, not that that gives us a license to do whatever we want, but, but we're secure, then hopefully that will propel us to serve the Lord with even more eagerness and more, um, more vigor. So that's the uh, wording of the Scriptures, and I want us to look at number two tonight, the work of salvation. The work of salvation. First question here under this is, who works salvation? Is it God or is it man? Now, I think all of us would say, well, I already know the question or the answer to that question. But I want to give us some Bible reasons and some Bible evidence that God is the one who indeed works salvation. It's, it's salvation of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 9, it says, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. And then Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. Now, it's not salvation is of man. No, salvation is of the Lord. He's the one that provided the way of salvation, and He's the one that draws us to salvation, and He's the one that does the saving. Romans 8.33, here Paul says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So, salvation is God's work. Acts chapter 28, verse 28 says, Be it known unto you, be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Luke 3, 6. Here it says, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So, this salvation isn't of man, it's of God. So, He's the one that does the working of salvation, not man. Okay, here's another question. How does salvation come? Is it by faith or by works? 
Now, again, most of us know the answer to that question. It's by faith, not of works. And we get this again from the Bible, from the Scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. So you were saved through faith. And by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do. There's not a, not, uh, a certain amount of works. There's not a certain type of works that we can do in order to earn our salvation. No, it's only by, by grace through faith. Titus 3.5 says this, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Romans 11.6, this is the tongue twister of the Bible, at least in my mind, and it says this, And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace, but if be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Say, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Paul's saying, look, you can either be saved by grace or by works. It's one or the other. It's not a mixture of the two. And it's only by grace. It's not by works. Uh, otherwise, grace isn't really there. And if you're uh, based on works, then, then it's no more grace. Work is no more work. And uh, there was just a logical argument there. So uh, we know that salvation comes by faith and not by works. Okay, well then, here's the third question. How is salvation maintained? Is it by God or by man? Does God do the saving? Yes, He does. But does God do the keeping as well? Yes, He does. Psalm 37, and verse 28, says this, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not His saints. They are preserved forever but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. We're preserved forever. Once we are part of His family, that will always, will always be part of His family. Jude 24. Here Jude says, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. He's the one that is able to keep you from falling. I'm not able to keep myself from falling. And you're not able to keep yourself from falling, but God is able to keep you from falling. 1 Peter 1, verse 5 says this, who are, uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. You and I, we are kept by the power of God. If you think that God's not powerful enough to keep you, uh, then you have a misunderstanding of the power of God because He has an infinite amount of power. He has all power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. And there's nothing too difficult for Him, including keeping you and I saved. A group of botanists went on an expedition into a hard-to-reach location in the Alps searching for new varieties of flowers. Well, one day, as a scientist looked through his binoculars, he, he spied a beautiful, rare species growing at the bottom of a deep ravine. Well, to reach it, someone would have to be lowered into that gorge. Knowing a local youngster standing nearby, the man asked him if he would help him get the flower. The boy was told that a rope would be tied around his waist, and the men would then lower him to the floor of the canyon. Well, excited yet apprehensive about the adventure, the youngster peered thoughtfully into the chasm. Wait, he said, I'll be right back. 
and off he dashed. When he returned, he was accompanied by an older man. Approaching the head botanist, the boy said, I'll go over the cliff now and get the flower for you, but this man must hold on to the rope. He's my dad. <laughs> He's the one that I trust. I don't really want to trust any of you guys, I want to, I, but I do trust my dad. And you know, as, as we think about our Christian lives, look, we can't trust ourselves. We can't even, maybe even trust each other from time to time because we'll let each other down. But God never will. And uh, when we have that security that God is holding the rope, then, then all is well. And He is the one holding the rope of our salvation. F.B. Meyer wrote about two Germans who wanted to climb the Matterhorn. They hired three guides and began their ascent at the steepest and most slippery part. The men roped themselves together in this order. Guide, traveler, guide, traveler, guide. So there were five men climbing this mountain. They had gone only a little way up the side when the last man lost his footing. He was held up temporarily by the other four because each had a toehold in the niches they had cut in the ice. But then the next man slipped, and he pulled down the two above him. And the only one to stand firm was the first guide who had driven a spike deep into that ice. Because he held his ground, all the men beneath him regained their footing. When Mr. Meyer concluded his story by drawing a spiritual application, he said, I am like one of those men who slipped. But thank God I'm bound to a living partnership to Christ, and because he stands, I will never perish. And I thought that was very, very appropriate to share with you tonight because, look, I'm going to slip from time to time, but Christ never will. And He's the one holding my rope. And He's the one holding me up. And so that's the, the working of salvation. And I want us to see, number three tonight, the weakness of saints. Because this is where I find myself at times. The weakness of saints. So the question arises, okay, what about a Christian who backslides? The song we sang last Sunday morning, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings. The last verse of that song says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's me at times. I don't want it to be me, but honestly it is at times. So what happens when a Christian backslides, when a Christian uh, veers off the course and goes into sin. What happens? Let me ask you a question. How many of your sins were future when Jesus died for you on the cross? The answer is all of them. You were not even born yet. And when He died on the cross, He forgave us of all of our sins, past, present, and future to us, but they were all future to Him. The ones that we would commit, yes, even after we are saved. Look, you and I, when we got saved, we were born again. We were born into God's family. And just like my children who were born into my family, are they perfect? Oh boy, you have no idea how not perfect they are. <laughs> uh, they're good kids though, and we're thankful for them. But look, all of them have sinned. All of them have done things that have disappointed me as their dad. But not one time did I say, you know what? I'm done with you. Get out of my family. Not one time have I ever thought that. That never has even crossed my mind. Well, when Luke wasn't a Raider fan, I thought about it a little bit. <laughs> but 
other than that. Look, being part of a family doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Being part of a family means that you're going to, there's going to be uh, problems within a family. But it doesn't mean that you are disowned from that family when you blow it from time to time. Same thing spiritually. Look, we're part of His family and, and nothing will separate us from the love of our Father. You will always be His child and there's nothing you, cannot, you and I can do that would cause Him to disown us. We're, we're, we're part of His family. I read this this week and I thought it was good to share with you again. Uh, regarding this, and and this applies here. In the days of the great dominion of Rome law, um, I'm sorry, the great dominion of uh, Rome, law was built on the assumption that every Roman citizen owed Caesar perfect allegiance and obedience to his laws. If any citizen broke one of his laws, the offender would soon find himself standing, standing before the courts or even Caesar himself. If the man were found guilty of breaking the law and sentenced to prison, an itemized list was made of each infraction and its corresponding penalty. It was technically called a certificate debt. When the man was taken to his prison cell, the certificate debt was nailed to the cell door so that anyone passing by could tell that the man had been justly condemned and could also see the limitation of his punishment. When the man had served his time and was released, he would be handed the yellowed, tattered certificate of debt, words, paid in full, written across it. Excuse me. He could never again be in prison for those same crimes as long as he could produce his canceled certificate of debt. But until the sentence was paid, that certificate of debt stood between him and freedom. A certificate of debt was prepared against every person who would ever live, listing his failure to live in thought, word, and deed in accordance with the law of God. This death sentence has become a debt of sin which has to be paid either by man or, if possible, if someone could take his place. Well, it was Jesus who cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that instance, God had taken the certificate of debt of every human being from the beginning of mankind until the close of history and nailed it to the cross, making Jesus responsible and guilty for each one of the crimes that all of us have committed. The victorious cry on the cross was the Greek word when Jesus said, it is finished, it's the Greek word tetalestai, which means it is finished, of course. Now let that burn like a firebrand in your mind because that's the exact same word that a Roman judge would write across a released criminal's certificate of debt to show that all of his penalty had been paid and he was free at last. And the mind of God, paid in full, had been written with the blood of Jesus Christ across the certificate of debt of every man, woman, and child who will ever live, could never be again condemned for all those things ever again. To God be the glory for what he did on the cross for you and for, for, for me. And when we say, look, we can lose our salvation. It's a slap in the face to Jesus who paid it all on the cross for you and for me. It's basically saying, no, Lord, that wasn't the full payment. I need to pay for my own uh, salvation as well by living a certain way. Look, God does want us to live a certain way, but we can never earn or keep our salvation on our own. Salvation is God's work. He does the saving and He also does the keeping. Well, wouldn't this then 
produce a license to sin? I mean, if I can sin all I want after my salvation, I mean, sounds like a pretty good deal. Get to go to heaven and live my own life and do whatever I want. Shouldn't this produce a license to sin? Well, Paul addressed this topic in Romans chapter 5, and if you would uh, turn over there uh, really quickly this evening, Romans chapter number 5, because I think it's good for us to see this. Verse number 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, and of course that one man was Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, and that one in the second part of the verse is referring to Jesus Christ. But then he says here, Moreover the law entered, but the, that the offense might abound. And here it is, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we sang about that this morning, grace greater than our sin. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 6, well, hey, since grace did much more abound when sin abounded, here's the question in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if I continue to sin, then maybe, hey, that's, that's kind of a good thing because then grace is being able to abound even more. So we're kind of helping God's grace out being exercised by my sin. So let's continue in sin that grace may abound. And then he answers the question in verse number two with a, God forbid, absolutely not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Look, we're dead to sin as believers. We don't have to sin anymore, and so let's stop sinning. It's not a license to sin. It's not like, well, hey, I get to go to heaven no matter what, so I'm going to get to live it up. No, no, no. It's a, hey, now I have a license to do what's right. Now I have the ability to follow God and to do His will and to do what's right, not to sin anymore. And uh, there's a lot more we could talk about on that. But, um, okay, there's a, there's a few verses here or one more passage I want to turn to and then we'll wrap it up tonight. 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter two, 1. And I'm just kind of giving the, the basics on this particular doctrine, certainly there's a lot more you could do in your own research and time and uh, study, and I would encourage you to do that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 5, it says this, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Look, there, is, there, there are Christians out there that you go and talk to and they, they say, well, yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't believe that stuff anymore. And you're kind of going, well, how does that happen? I believe that Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 have, have happened in their life. They failed to grow in their Christian life. And as a result, in verse number 9, it says, 
uh, he gets to the point where he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You even forget you're even saved. I'm like, oh, I'm not saved anymore. And the reason for it is because they failed to add these things to their Christian life in verses 5 through 7. And because they didn't do that, now they get to the point where it's like, I don't even think I'm saved anymore. I don't even know that I really meant what I meant, and I don't know that I'm saved. Now, it could be they didn't mean what they meant, but it also could be that they did mean it, and they just failed to grow in their Christian life. This is not saying that, okay, well, now I get to this point in my life, and I don't even remember I'm saved. Am I still saved? Yeah, if the Lord, if I really believed on Christ at that moment of salvation, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I'm saved. The Lord's the one that keeps my salvation, not me. Not you. It's, it's the Lord that keeps it. Now, it's a sad thing, and of course, that's the devil's goal for all of us, is to get to that point where we don't even care anymore, where it does, it, we're not in church, we don't even really even remember the time we came to Christ, and we, we've forgotten that we were purged from our old sins. And the reason he wants to get us to that point is because we're ineffective for Christ. But the Christian who's growing and adding these things, verse 8 says, look, you're going to be uh, fruitful, and you're going to be you're going to be bearing great fruit for the Lord. You're going to be um, effective as you serve the Lord, and that's what God, of course, wants. But the devil wants us to be barren. He wants us to be unfruitful, and so he's going to in- discourage us from growing. He's going to he's going to say, "Look, you don't need all this. You don't need to be in church like three times a week. That's silly. Like no one does that anymore. Like why don't you just go find a church that it's like Sunday morning only." And there are a plethora of churches that you can go just Sunday morning and that's the only service they have. Oh, they may repeat it several times. But you could do that and you don't need to read the Bible on your own. I mean, you know, just come to church and, and you know, pastor opens the Bible and he'll quote some verses, but you don't need to be doing these things. You don't need to be adding to your faith virtue. You don't need to be uh, getting knowledge in your own life. You don't need to be learning self-control, this temperance. You don't need to be learning patience. No one likes to learn patience, but we all need to learn it. We don't need to learn godliness. We don't need to have brotherly kindness and charity in our lives. Well, if we fail to add those to our lives, guess what happens? We get to the point where we don't even remember we're saved. It's a sad deal, and there are a lot of believers who are in that state right now. Um, But that doesn't mean they're not saved. All right? God does the saving, and He does the keeping, even in those uh, lives as well. Now, assurance can be lost by ceasing to believe the promise. However, since the person who believes in Jesus shall never perish, eternal life cannot be lost, even if assurance is lost. There are a lot of believers who don't have the assurance of of eternal life. But that doesn't mean they don't have eternal life. They just have lost the assurance of it. So the question concerning eternal salvation is, has a person ever believed the promise? And the question concerning assurance is, does a person believe the promise right now? Look to Christ and you'll be sure that you have everlasting life and that you will never die spiritually. After one of D.L. Moody's evangelistic services, a man named Chapman came up to him saying he he lacked assurance of of his eternal destiny. Moody asked him to read John 5 and verse 24. The man did. He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has Everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Moody then said, well, any other questions? Like, 
Well, Chapman said, well, I'm still not sure. Moody was annoyed and said, read it again. Chapman did, and then he said, I'm sorry, I'm still not sure. Read it again. Chapman did this, and this time he said, wow, are you saying that if I simply believe in Jesus that I will have everlasting life and I'll never come into judgment about my eternal destiny? No, I didn't say that, Moody said. The Lord Jesus said that. See, look to yourself and you'll never be sure that you and your works are flawed. But Jesus and his works or promises uh, are not flawed at all. And you can trust in him. Now again, the first of the Baptist beliefs was Bible-only authority. This is important because we get all of our beliefs from the Bible, including this one, the security of the believer. And if eternal security is found in the Bible... And I hope you have learned that it is found in the Bible, then we need to trust it. So whenever you begin to doubt your salvation, remember who keeps it. Not you, God. And because we are secure, we need to obey and trust our shepherd as he leads and guides us. And with that, let's have a word of prayer tonight. Lord, thank you for your word that very much teaches the eternal security of the believer. And Lord, because we are secure, help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, Lord, to uh, have this assurance in our lives that we can serve you without worrying about, oh, if I mess up, I'm going to lose my salvation. Oh, no. Help us, Lord, to have the assurance that you're going to hold the rope no matter what, and you're never going to let go. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father and that nothing will sever our relationship with you the moment we trusted you. Lord, I pray that you would give us great assurance and great comfort knowing that once we're saved, we are always saved. And help us, Lord, not to use that now as a license to sin, but to use it as a license to do what's right and to follow you, to do your will. And uh, thank you for your love and your word and and this truth that uh, you do the saving and you do the keeping. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.